Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Not only is Bob Bullis a fantastic preacher, but he's one of the finest gentlemen you'll ever come across. This sermon was preached at the International Conservative Holiness Association camp meeting held in Greenfield, Indiana in 2005. And he titles this sermon, When Fishes of Men Stop Fishing. I know you're going to enjoy this classic message. seated. There's times I'm reading, searching, trying to find some thought. And this, this came across my mind as I saw the word fisherman. What happens when fishers of men stop fishing? What happens? when they stop and they go back to the boats they go back to the nets and they go back to the poles and go looking just for nothing I haven't been privileged to go to very many sports shows like hunting and fishing I've gone a couple times don't understand a lot about fishing but I've found out that Boats are expensive. Poles are expensive. Reels are expensive. I can't get over what you can pay for a lure to catch a fish on. They're expensive. Bait is expensive. And yet there are these men that are standing there and they're trying to explain how to cast out and what to do when you get a little nibble or get a little bite and how important it is to know just exactly how to throw the rod and how quick to snap it so that you can catch the fish on the other end. They're consumed with fishing. They go out in these competitive fishing contests and they try to get the biggest bass or the biggest trout or the heaviest one. They're consumed with it. And when I've thought of all that and tried to put it together, the thought came to me, What's happened to us as fishers of men that we have been employed by Christ to go out and to do everything that we can to be so consumed to reach others, to bring them into a knowledge of this resurrected Christ. And for some reason, we're not as consumed as the men are that are out just fishing for fish. And we have the greatest message in the world to offer. In Luke 19.10, Jesus shows us what we are to do. He said, go out and find. Go out and hunt for. Go out and seek. Go out and find those that need to be saved. And bring them in. Become fishers of men. Let everything else go. Forget everything else and follow me. When you do that, you're fulfilling the command of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There were two behaviorists that tried to put together something for modern psychology. One of them was John Wolpe, another was John Bowlby. 
John Bowlby came up with what he called imprinting. And he said, this is simply uh, anyone that, and they did a, a little test with ducks. And uh, they watched these little ducks as they were hatched and they would watch the mother duck and they would, these little ducklings would act just like the mother duck. And he said, this is imprinting. This is what children do with their parents. They imprint what they see. They talk what they hear. They act what they're noticing and watching. That's imprinting. Wolpe said that what you have to do when you go beyond this stage of imprinting is that you have to understand that there's a real world and there's an imaginative world. I think too many times we get caught in the area of lip service and we never let it really sink in to what we are actually supposed to be doing. And that is hunting, seeking, and trying to find the lost. So the imaginary world, they called it implosive. The real world will be called flooding. Let me try to illustrate it like this. Back a number of years ago when I was in Clarksburg, West Virginia, pastoring, we had an evangelist. His name was Ellis Birchfield. And uh, when he left us, I had two children at the time, and, and we just felt bad he was gone. And why I did this, I have no idea. But I told the children, I said, well, let's just go get a couple pets. So we went down to the local feed store, and I bought two ducklings. And we got home, put them in a box, and got a little bowl for them to put water in. And uh, I told the children, I said, let's have some fun. And I said, let me just take a glass and act like I'm going to pour water into the bowl and see what the ducklings do. So I stood at the, at the box and I took a cup and I just, or glass, just like I was going to pour something, but there was nothing. And the little ducklings were there and going, quack, quack, quack. Nothing had happened. They weren't satisfied. So I said, they're used to water. They know they get water. And in our household at the time, we all drank Pepsi. We didn't put Pepsi in our baby's bottles. Yes, against all Dr. Spock's ideas and all the modern psychology and education and medical research. We put Pepsi in our, and they're all doing fine. They've lived but I got some Pepsi and put it in a glass and I put it into that bowl. I went from implosive imaginary to flooding, which was actual and real. Those little ducks went over there and they stuck their bill in there. This was something they had never had. They'd take, put their bill in and they'd take it out and they'd just throw it around. Quack, quack, quack. And they'd go back to the dish and they'd, Throw it out again. I was trying to cause some imprinting. But it wasn't working very good because they knew that wasn't what ducks were supposed to drink. When God saves us out of a life of sin and calls us into his work, and tells us to leave the boats and leave the nets and leave the poles and leave it all and come follow me and pick up your cross and deny yourself and make yourself fishers of men. That's real. That's imprinting. That's emulating. That's patterning our life after the Savior. That's what he wants out of us. And in our day, it seems like everything has taken over. The picture has just become anything you want it to be. The church world is so caught up in anything that it wants and desires apart from being fishers of men. It's a lifetime call. It's a call for all of us as Christians. There's no big fish in this and little fish. No big guns and little guns. We're all fishers of men. 
God's called us all to be this and to do something. But we think, oh, it's just people that preach in camp meetings or preachers that preach in revivals or Sunday school teachers that have adult classes. But God is telling every one of us that come under the sound of the gospel and surrender our lives to him. He's saying every one of you are employed as an evangelist to go out and reach others for the sake of the cross and the gospel. That's what he's saying. All of us. Nobody is exempt. No one can throw it off. The truth is, so many of us have just given up on fishing for men long time ago we've stopped we're employed with all the tactics that can that can be mustered and concocted and thought up in the human mind we're doing everything we can for church growth and to get the statistics up and to let the sunday school chart look better on sunday morning we're trying every gimmick that we can possibly try to bring people in and then to hold them after we get them. But I'm afraid what's happened is the call isn't there to be fishers of men. And we're not emulating. We're not patterning. We're not imprinting. And we know something is wrong. Just like those little ducks knew that they weren't supposed to be drinking Pepsi. We know something is missing. Something's wrong. Something isn't just right. Oh, we're willing to accept someone that jumps into our boat. We do a lot of church hopping. And it's nice to have someone leave our good brother's church and come over to our church where they can get fed. We'll feed them. We'll give them the truth. We'll cause them to see what they need to be and you'll see them grow and mature spiritually because they're now under the sound of the glorious gospel. I don't fish very much. A couple times that I did go, didn't like it. My boys like to fish. But I remember one time when I was out with my older son and we were catching nothing. And he promised me we would catch fish this day. And we were catching nothing. I'd have my line in the water and just sitting there waiting. He said something would tug on my line. And when it did, I was to jerk. Nothing tugged on my line. And then I'd look out in the water and I'd see a fish jump. And I'd see another one jump. And I'd say, Steve, row over there. There's fish over there. Dad, you don't fish. I said, Steve, I saw a fish. There's nothing here. Get over there. So he'd lift the anchor and over we'd go and... We'd drop the anchor and we'd try to fish there. Nothing. And I'd see fish jump somewhere else. I'd say, Steve, row over there. There's fish over there in the pond or the lake. Row over there. Dad, you don't fish like this. But I said, Steve, we're catching nothing. Let's go where the fish are. And I remember what he said. He said, Dad, do you think or are you hoping that one of those fish just jump up and land in our boat? I said, Steve, it looks like the only way we're going to get a fish is for it to jump out of the water and land in our boat. We're catching nothing. We tried minnows. We tried night crawlers. We tried artificial things. We tried lures. You name it, everything he had, we tried. And we never caught a fish. And I was just hoping that one of, one of those big ones would jump out of the water and land in the boat. But they were too smart for that. But that's what we hope for, isn't it? It's like maybe the church downtown will close down and I'll get all those people. They'll jump out of that boat into my boat. That isn't what God wants us to do. That isn't the pattern that God has for us. He wants us to be out there hunting and seeking and finding those that are lost and so far from God. And we're able to just close our heart. We're able to shut down. We can go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then we really dwindle down to Wednesday night. But we're all fishing. But what are we fishing for? 
What are we after? What happens when we stop fishing? What takes place? Let me tell you what the late Sam Shoemaker is a, uh, an Episcopalian bishop. He summed it up like this. He said, in the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. We've turned the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally, I take some fish out of your fish bowl and I put them into mine. And you do the same with my bowl. But we're all tending the same fish. It's exciting to think that Saturday night we're going to have new convert night, isn't it? To hear some testimonies from new converts. We need to get excited about what we just might hear. It might be something a little different than what we are used to hearing. They haven't yet learned the language and they don't know how to phrase it and they don't know just what kind of sentence structure, how to frame it and what kind of sentence structure to put it in. We might just get out of the mold to know that there are some that are actually getting saved in a day when we just think, what's the use? We've tried everything and we are back to square one. But let me show you what happens when we stop fishing for men. Let me try to portray to you what actually takes place in the church world when we are no longer hunting and seeking and trying to find. The very first thing that we do is we begin to fight. In Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 41. Let me read this to you. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. He said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I baptize with? They said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. They became agitated. They became disturbed by what was happening and taking place in the boat. What happens is when we lose our focus from going out and doing what God has commissioned us to do, we sit around because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We have a lot of excess time on our hand and we begin to fight with anything and anybody that anything or any time it's possible to create some kind of a controversial issue. I wish I'd have learned a lesson, Brother States, when I was 20 and 30, but I didn't. I've learned there's some things not worth fighting over. There's some things that are not worth fighting for. Now, I'm not talking about soul salvation and biblical principles. I tell my students, choose your arguments. Don't just argue for the sake of arguing. Choose, is it worth my time and my strength and my energy to argue out a point or a position? But what do we do? We fight. And it doesn't make any difference what the issue is. We've gotten into the mode where we just like to fight. We fight over anything. The last number of years, I've had to do this for my own soul's sake. And I haven't tried to be rude or unkind. But I have left people standing while they've still been talking because they wanted to fight and I wasn't going to use my time nor my energy to fight. Isn't it amazing when we stop becoming fishers of men the little things that we really want to pick at and pick at one another over. It's not essential. It's not doctrinal. 
It's not a position that is going to help us draw closer to the Lord. But we don't have anything else to do. So we are now just fighting. What do people fight over? Oh, they fight over who's got the biggest boat. Who's got the most expensive poles? Who's got the most expensive gear? Who's got the biggest church? Who has the largest Sunday school? Who gets the nicest salary? Who gets the best benefits? Isn't it amazing a fellow can be down on the bottom of the list and he's left alone. Nobody bothers him. Nobody says anything about him. They're saying, we're praying for you, brother, that your church will grow. And we're praying somehow that God will bless your ministry. And all of a sudden, a church begins to feel a little bit of move. And they call this preacher that was insignificant and nobody even gave him any notice or mention. He was never called on to pray in a camp meeting. He's never called on to preach a revival. He's not called on for anything. But as soon as he goes to the big church, oh, I just imagine there was a lot of politicking going on to get him in there. Why would they want him? He can't preach. He can't sermonize. That man butchers the king's English. Look at his children. Look at how they act. Look at how they dress. Look at what he drives. Look at how he lives. Look at how he clothes himself and his family. They just pick all because they stop being fishers of men. I wonder if we would just stop to look at why many times we get so angry. Anger comes from hurt. And that anger will turn to bitterness. Bitterness turns to out and out fighting. And it's all because we've lost what it is to keep the focus of becoming fishers of men. We've lost it. When we lose our turf control, we fight. I thank God, and I'm, I wouldn't want to stand up here as an example, but this is one issue I can talk about and talk good about without any hesitancy. I don't care where I pastor. If you pastor one mile from me or a hundred miles from me, I don't care if you come into my town and call on the people next door to me. I don't care if you call on them in the next block. I don't care if you call on them around my church. If you can get them to church and I can't get them to church, then I want you to do it. But we start looking at turf battles and turf situations until we begin to fight at one and pick at one another. And this isn't what it's all about. God's commissioned us to become fishers of men. But we start fighting over power, over control, over territory. I know of churches that have been split because a person didn't get to play the piano for the year. She got voted off the bench. I know of churches that have been split because somebody didn't get the Sunday school class they should have gotten. I know of churches that have been split because walls were painted a different color and a different color of carpet was laid. Some of the most ridiculous things that we think of are issues that the devil has taken to get us to divide and destroy the work of God because we've stopped keeping our focus where it needs to be. And we're no longer fishing for man. We've gone back to just fishing. The order of the mustard seed founded by Court Zinzendorf had three guiding principles. It was be kind to people, seek their welfare, and win them to Christ. You should, every time you talk to your, you get an opportunity in the bank, you should talk to your banker. You're in the grocery store, talk to the, talk to the clerk. You're outside talking to your neighbor, talk to them about Jesus. 
Get concerned. Make it the motive of your heart. Make it the supreme desire of your life so that you might learn what it is to really go out and win souls for Jesus Christ. Not just to plant a turf. Not to build a fence around you. Not just to say, don't touch. This is my territory. Gone to fighting because we've lost the focus. I believe it breaks God's heart when he sees churches dwindling and caving and collapsing because we're no longer out trying to reel in those that we've been seeking after and trying to hunt down and find. But we've enjoyed the prestige of all the scaffolding that we've put around us. We've enjoyed it. May the Lord help us. We'll not only fight, but we will run. If you're not winning souls, you will run. In Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said unto them, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And in verse 50, And they all forsook him and fled. We don't only fight, we run. When the times get tough, we take off. When the church is having it tough, we look for something that we think is better. We try to find somewhere else to go to salvage our children and to protect our home. And we've forgotten that we can make something out of where we are at. But we decide to run. Sure, it's easy to jump on. And one of the fallacies of reason is the bandwagon effect. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's saying it. Everybody's going along with it. That's a fallacy. Not everybody is doing it. Not everybody is going along with it. But it's no time to run. God wants us sometimes to put our feet down, plant ourselves, and stay put and see the work accomplished that God has put us in. Don't just run. Peter should have been telling the story here. The other disciples should have been telling the story. But what happened? They lost sight of their purpose, and they ran. The times got tough. One Sunday evening, William Booth was walking in London with his son, Willie. He was 12 or 13. And Booth surprised him when he took him down into town and into a saloon. There it was crowded with men and women that had hardened faces and the fumes, they said, of alcohol and tobacco were poisonous. Booth looked at his son, Willie, and he said, Willie, these are our people. These are the people I want you to live for and bring to Christ. Isn't it amazing how we pick out the people that we think God wants to save? We just have a pattern on the kind of people that God wants to put into our church. We don't want those that aren't just right. Before I went to the church I'm at now, it seemed like if there was a looney tune in town, I got them. I got them. They just came to my church. I was like a magnet. And I said to my wife, I can't understand it. Why do they come to my church? Must have been I was communicating on their levels, the only thing I could figure out. How it is that we don't want people that don't look right, don't act right, don't dress right, don't smell right. We just know who it is that God wants into our church and oh, forbid that you would bring somebody in that isn't respectable into our fine congregation. 
That's sad. But that's what happens when we forget that we're fishers of men. We start picking and choosing who we think God can use and who God wants to put into the service. We have no idea who God wants to bring in. We have no idea. We had a preacher in Cleveland that did this back, oh, a couple years ago. I read about it. And one Sunday morning he had uh, showed a picture of the church and a number, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 steps up into the into the main doors to go into the sanctuary. He sat down in one of those lower steps and he had a heavy coat on, had a false beard and long hair and had rubbed dirt over his hands and his face and, and had pants with holes in them. And he was sitting out there with a little old tin pan, just kind of mumbling as his church people were coming in that morning to go to worship, you know. And he'd mumble to them, can you help an old fella? Can you take care of an old drunk? They said, several of them kicked him and said, get off our steps. We don't want people to see you here. Said one man actually spit on him. Told him he wasn't wanted there. Not one person gave him a penny. Not one person. Not one person invited him into church. When they all got in there and that refined situation and started singing those wonderful hymns. And their hearts started getting blessed. And they started feeling good in their Sunday morning ritual. The pastor in all that garb comes in and walks down the main aisle of the church. The people are standing there horrified. This old bum, what does he think he's doing? He has no right to come into our church. Walks his way right up onto the platform and stands there and looks at them all. Takes off his hat and his wig and his false beard and his overcoat. And he preaches to them about the compassion of Christ. Isn't it amazing? We pick. And if we can't get what we want, we run. We don't stay. We won't continue to do it. Because it gets tough, it gets hard. When you're on your knees praying and you're fasting and you're pleading and you're begging and you're calling on God and you feel like, when is God going to break through? It gets tough and you just quit and run. We've lost what it is to keep the focus being fishers. I pastored in one church. My son would pick up a fellow that, I tell you what, you wouldn't want to sit too close to him on a night like this. It would be, uh, it would be disastrous, bad. You'd have a tough time. You might get a little choke, sick to your stomach, because he did have an odor. My son would bring him to church, and he'd come in, and it was so funny. He'd sit down right by some of those people that were just so refined. He'd turn around, look at them, smile, wave. You could just see the scorn and disdain on their face. He'd call times and say, uh, can you come over and get me, Pastor? And I'd sure if I couldn't, I'd send my older son over to get him. And then... Uh, Times he'd be in the air and he'd stop in. We just, my wife would put a plate at the table and he'd just sit down there and eat with us. Was it the most pleasant of situations? No. I would never make a good missionary because I too weak a stomach. But here was a man that was interested in coming to church. Very few people wanted anything to do with him. They didn't want him in their homes. They didn't want to pick him up. They didn't want him around them. But when he died, when he died, and they found out there was money that we were going to get 
Oh, thank God for this wonderful man that God sent to our church. Weren't we blessed to have such a wonderful man? And I'm standing there and thinking, where, what tree did I fall out of to not be able to pick up on this? We can't pick and choose. It's not up to us. I don't know what time I started, Brother Perry. I'm trying to be kind tonight, and I don't know what time. I, somebody tell me what time I start, because I'm not going to be unkind. What time did I start? Huh? Is my hour up? Is it up? No. I know it isn't up, because I'm not out of strength. Told you I'm good for it. But I don't know what time. I, give me a few more minutes. I wanna, and, I, and I'll hurry here. Little things make us cut and run. How many souls do you actually pray for? How many vows have you made to God of what you're going to do to actually try to reach lost people? Moody made a vow to God that he would witness to one lost soul every day of his life from his conversion. How many have we tried to witness to day after day to tell them about Jesus? We fight and we run. We look at it all so differently. Supposedly Christians all around. And yet look, we're losing them through the cracks. Our neighbors that live on the side of us, in front of us, behind us, around our churches. I remember this back in 1985. We were in the area. And it was in New, New Philly, Ohio. And the town in September was having a celebration because they put in a New Orleans municipal pool. And they were celebrating the fact that they had not had one drowning for the year, the season. So in honor of the occasion, they brought in 200 people and 100 lifeguards. And they had four lifeguards on duty for the day. And they had quite a celebration. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, they found a dead body in the pool. 100 lifeguards around. Four on duty. 200 there in honor. And there is a 31-year-old man by the name of Jerome Moody that had drowned, surrounded by a host of lifeguards. How could it have happened? Now, let me ask you, how can it happen when we talk about having the greatest thing this side of heaven, when we talk about being able to have revival and an outpouring of God the Holy Ghost on us, how is it that people can be dropping into hell so close to us, falling through the cracks, coming out of our Sunday schools? What's happened? Have we put all of our time and thrust into programs and gimmicks and shows and circuses and you name it? Have we forgotten the way that God has given us the plan to reach men for Him? Have we forgotten? He says there's a way to do it. Get out of the boat. Get out there and reach them. Last, you'll forget. In John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, look at what happens to these men that were fishermen that had become fishers of men. Listen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But listen, 
Listen to what's so sad. When the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, Jesus had already appeared to them. He'd appeared to all of them. They'd talked with him. They'd seen him. They fellowshiped with him after the resurrection. Now, listen. On the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't even know who it was. That fast, they had forgotten all about Jesus. That fast, it happens. When we lose our focus, we start fighting, we start running, and we will forget. You will forget. How is it possible to forget? How can you forget the kind of life you lived apart from grace? How can you forget how deep you were in sin? How can you forget that it took the blood of Jesus Christ to save you from all of your sin? How can you forget what it was like to make a total commitment and consecration to God? How can you forget? But you know you can and you won't even recognize Jesus when he's standing that close by you. It goes that fast. It goes that rapid. People that just forget. What's God want to do? God wants to pull us in. He wants us to understand, I want you to do what's necessary. In this day when people are just saying it can't be done, God isn't interested. Where is he if there is one? How can it work? Is it possible can we have camp meetings anymore? Why do we pay out the money for revivals? Evangelist after evangelist tells me, I don't know what to do. I've run out of sermons to preach to the church. Where's the sinners? Well, preacher, you don't understand. People don't want to look like us. What do you mean they don't want to look like us? Have you asked them? How do you know that? People don't want to act like this. Why? Being in their right mind? You mean they don't want to act like someone that is not insane? Have you asked them? Do you know that for sure? How many of us have forgotten? Because we've dabbled in everything. And we've lost sight of what it is be out seeking him. I remember Brother States preaching back in some of those camps and revivals. Had them in our local church. I remember Brother Griffith preaching on the gusher. Rob French, Steve Heron, Stanley Kendall, Dempsey Fawcett, D.R. Matherly, I can remember those fellas, H.E. Darnell, when they'd come in, they'd preach a blaze. They knew God could do something for us. God wanted to do something for us. I'm not telling you we have to preach like them, but I'm telling you we serve the same God and God wants to give us the same kind of results. But we have forgotten what God has done for us. I remember Brother Heron saying to us in pastoral theology, question came up, and it went like this. Brother Heron, what do we do if we run out of things to say? He said, if you run out of things to say, just testify. Just give your testimony. Do people get tired of your testimony? No. It's always the same, but always different. Give them your testimony. We testify about everything around Robin Hood's barn. I'll never forget when I, years ago, years ago, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones, but I remember years ago when I went into one conference and our baby was a year old. How old? Six weeks? Little girl. Six weeks old. That was our first child. You know what they asked me? Asked me one question. Only one. What do you think it was? One question. Here I am going to join a holiness denomination. I'm coming in. 
fresh out of school. I have a little baby, and I figured they're going to ask me, tell me about your work of holiness. Tell me how you got sanctified. These were old timers. Where did you get saved? Explain it to me. They never said a thing. You know what they asked me? Here's the question they asked me. Will you wear leotards on your little girl? That's what they asked me. One question. Would I wear leotards on my little girl? What have we forgotten, folk? Have we forgotten who God is and what God can do? Have we forgotten that God wants to break through again? I'm not just saying it. God wants to break through again and give the old-fashioned crowd another gallywasher, another outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God wants to do it. But we have forgotten what he was like, what he can do, and what he's done for us because we failed to be fishers of men. And we've picked up the nets and gone back to just plain, simple fishing. The devil doesn't care what he does just so he can get us to lose focus. They're fighting all the way down from the Episcopalian church over a gay homosexual bishop uh, that was, I guess he was made bishop. One of the clergy made bishop. All the way down, denomination after denomination, just fighting and forgetting what we've come from. Let's not forget what we left. Let's not forget where we are. Do you want to go back to the things we came out of did it do any good back then? No. Will it do any good today? Never. Never. And the devil will try to get us to think we have to go back to all of that and we have to embrace everything by the liberals and take everything in and condone it from everyone else so that we can continue to exist. That isn't the problem. The problem is we failed to be fishers of men. We've forgotten. I close. Ed Harrell, that was on the USS Indianapolis. It was 1945. He wrote out of the depths if you want to get a good reading. When the USS Indianapolis was sunk, a Jap uh, submarine was in the waters and they said it was clear. And six torpedoes were shot. One hit the bow and one went midport. In 12 minutes, that USS Indianapolis sunk. There were over 1,200 sailors, only 300 and some were able to abandon ship on time just to get out in the waters and spared. Ed said he was about 50 yards when that ship went clear down. 12 minutes. He said while he was out there, they knew a ship would be coming to pick him up if they could just hold together. They all had their life jackets on. And he said out of the 300 and some that, that uh, were, were out in the waters, there were 80 in his group. And they all joined hands and, and made a circle. And he said he knew if they'd hold on long enough, the ship that they were supposed to meet would come and pick them up. He said for four and a half days they were out there in the ocean. Four and a half days trying to survive in the sun and in all that salt water and they could not drink. He said one by one a shark would come up and take one that was next to him. Drag him down. He said in four and a half days there was only a Navy lieutenant and himself that were left when a ship had come to rescue them. Only two out of his group of 80. You know what he said? I will never forget those four and a half days of what I endured and what I went through. And I heard him say it. He said, I will never forget God, keep us tonight from forgetting. God, never let us forget what he has brought us out of and what he wants us to be. We're not to be. Oh, I've got to close. Let's stand. God, help us. Oh, Jesus, God, help us. God, help us. What happened? When fishers of men stop fishing, they fight, they run, and they forget.
God wants us to follow his command and emulate him. Follow the supreme pattern. Father, this is the first night of camp. And we know there's a hundred different things we could have preached on, but we felt like this is the direction to go. We pray somehow you'll take the truth, apply it to our hearts. Help us to get refocused, oh God, on what we need to be doing. Salvage and spare us so that we can have a strong church left in this century. That our children and grandchildren can know what we have known. Don't let us fail to be fishers of men. But help us to be about the Father's business day after day. Keep your hand upon us. May the truth go into our hearts and may we search it out. And may we find what you want for us. And may we purpose, O oh God, to follow your command. To follow you and to be fishers of men. May your blessing rest upon us. For which we will praise you through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17